I greet you in the high and holy name of Jesus Christ, our crucified and risen Lord. Some of you may not know this, but we ordained ministers do not have membership in a local church like you lay people do. Uh, we have what is called charge conference membership that's placed in one church or another. And uh, my charge conference membership uh, has been over the years placed in the last church that I served full time, which was Christ Church in Memphis, Tennessee. But last week, my wife and I moved her church membership and my charge conference membership to Mount Horeb Global Methodist Church. <laughs> Thank you. Our hearts have been with you for a long time, and now we are officially part of the family. The, the scripture for the morning is, comes from two of Paul's letters. First, from Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. And if you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. Paul wrote, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And then this verse from Ephesians 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated and let us pray. Take my lips and speak through them. Take our thoughts and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Unless you speak, nothing of significance will be spoken. Give us your word, Lord Jesus. Amen. There's a beautiful spot on the edge of the Smoky Mountains, not far from Greenville, that is called Pretty Place. Many of you have been there. It's a glorious outdoor chapel perched on the edge of a mountain cliff. On a clear day from there, you can see three states. And down at the front is a plaque and on it are printed some words by the English poet William Wordsworth written over 200 years ago. And the words on that plaque say, We can only see a little of the ocean a few miles distant from the rocky shore. But out there, just beyond the eye's horizon, there's more, immeasurably more. We can only see a little of God's loving, a few rich treasures from his mighty store. But out there, just beyond the eye's horizon, there is more, 
immeasurably more. Those inspired words dare us to imagine, in the words of St. Paul, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Now, if you happen to live or visit in a rural area far away from the city lights, and it's a clear night, you can look up into the heavens and you can see more stars than you can count. And each one of those stars is bigger than our planet. What, a, what an incredible God is required to have created that universe. And that's what God did. How great God is. How transcendent God is. And by comparison, how small, how limited are we? For the first 11 chapters of Paul's letter to the Romans, he gives us God's glorious plan of salvation. And then about halfway through chapter 11, Paul's theology turns to poetry. It's as though he reached the edge of his understanding and he just had to break into song. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. You know, life often hurls questions at us that we can't answer. Bigger than our understanding. We just have to reply, I don't know. I am reminded of uh, a figure from the comic strips, Sally, Charlie Brown's younger sister. Um, and she's in school one day. And she raises her hand, and when the teacher calls on her, she says, there's a question that has bothered me for years. It's a question that has driven students mad since schools began. The question is this. Why is it that you never call on me when I know the answer, but you always call on me when I don't? Amen. I identify with Sally because that's the way... I feel sometimes when we can't answer some of life's toughest and most important questions because our wisdom is so limited, our understanding is incomplete. But God's wisdom and understanding are unlimited. St. Paul saluted God's infinite wisdom when he wrote this, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power, that is at work within us. I wonder if William Wordsworth, when he wrote those words 200 years ago, took those two words immeasurably more from this particular verse. Let's focus on just three big questions that we cannot answer, but God can. First, a question we all ponder. What does the future hold for us? What does the future hold for us? Earlier in my life, I used to ask the Lord for a 10-year plan. Just lay it out to me, Lord, in writing if you want to, but verbally it would be okay. Any way you want to get it to me, I just want a 10-year plan of what you have in store for me, what you want. And this will assist me with decision-making. It will enable me to blend my planning with yours. So I would appreciate it. The Lord never would do it. Never would. Now that I'm older, I think I understand why. 
You see, if the Lord gave me the 10-year plan, the good things that are coming in the next 10 years would no longer be a surprise to me. I would expect them, almost an entitlement. And the bad things that are coming, I would live in dread of them. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that the Lord refuses to give me a 10-year plan. Instead, God knows what the future holds, and He reveals it to me one day at a time or as soon as I need to know it. And God asks me to trust Him to pave the way into the future, believing that He will provide whatever resources I need. My friend Dick Lincoln, who is a retired minister, recalls a, an experience he had when he was in seminary. He was taking a pastoral care course at a nearby hospital. And one day he was working in the chaplain's office and a call came from a lady who was on the oncology ward, the cancer ward, who wanted a chaplain to visit. So Dick picked up his Bible and headed to that woman's room. And when he got there, he introduced himself and said, How may I help you? And she said, I want you to read Psalm 103. So Dick opened his Bible, and he began reading these words. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. And even as Dick read that, he, he thought to himself, Ooh, I wonder if that's the right thing to root. This woman's got cancer. What if she's not healed? Maybe I shouldn't have read that. And so he stopped and he asked her, Ma'am, is that what you wanted to me to read? And she said, Yes, it is. And she said, You see, within the next two weeks, I am going to be healed of cancer one way or another. Either the cancer is going to be stopped or I'm going to be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and to live in glory with Him forever. In either case, I will be a winner. That lady was not sure of the future, but she knew who held the future. Since God alone knows the future, we are challenged by St. Paul to live by faith, not by sight. Here's the second big question that we cannot answer, but God can. Who are saved and who are not? Now, Jesus warned us in Matthew 7, do not judge or you too will be judged. Never try to determine somebody's ultimate destiny, heaven or hell. That's not our business. On the other hand, God also told us to be discerning. Jesus said, no good tree bears bad fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. Don't judge, but be discerning. And when a person shows no signs of being a Christian, we should reach out to that person with the good news of the gospel, lest that person spend eternity in a horrible place called hell, where God is utterly absent. And we should reach out to him or her gently, in love, in the same spirit that a parent would warn a teenage son not to swim by himself 
in a certain pond where there's no lifeguard. But no matter how clear the signs are that some person is lost and hell-bound, we do not have the right, the knowledge, the permission to declare for sure that this person is saved and that person is lost. We can testify for ourselves, but we cannot say that about anybody else. I cannot even guarantee that Adolf Hitler is in hell. Only God can say what our final destination is. There are twice in the New Testament we read that God our Savior wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. That's a glorious word. God wants everybody to be saved. And he did everything possible to save us, even sending his son to a cross. He did everything except one thing. Take away our right to say yes or no. No. That's our choice. And to choose Christ is called faith. What you do with the one who hung on the cross and walked out of the tomb decides what God will do for you for all eternity. Let me say that again. What you do with the one who hung on the cross and walked out of the tomb decides what God will do with you for all eternity. The senior minister of uh, the Parkside Church in Cleveland is a man named Alistair Begg. And in one of his books, Pastor Begg uh, causes us to do so, uh, an intriguing uh, adventure of the mind. He says, I want you to imagine that thief who professed faith in Jesus just before he died on the cross beside Jesus. He said, I want you to imagine that man reporting to the gates of heaven. And he said, just imagine the gatekeeper, the angel, standing at the door and saying, Brother, I, I, I've pulled your record and, and I'm puzzled. I mean, he says, he, you were never in a Bible study. You were never a member of a church. You were never even baptized. Uh, so I'm amazed that you're showing up here. Uh, but I'm going to have to ask you a few questions to see if you're qualified to enter heaven first. Can you explain to me the doctrine of justification by faith? And the thief said, I, I never heard of it. And the angel said, okay, can you name three books of the Bible? The thief said, no, I can't. And then with some exasperation, the angel said, okay, can you name just one of the Lord's disciples? No, said the thief, I can't. And then the angel throws up his arms or wings and in exasperation and said, well, just can you give me one single reason why you should be admitted to heaven? And the thief said, I have only one hope that the man on the middle cross told me I could come. Friends, that's the only way you and I get there. That's the only way. To dump our sin at the foot of the cross and believe that the man on the middle cross paid the full price. That's how we get there. And God and God alone 
who sees the heart, only he can determine who are the saved and who are the lost. All right, here's the third big question that God can answer, but we cannot. Why do bad things happen to believers? Why do bad things happen to believers? Over 30 years ago, Rabbi Harold Kushner wrote a best-selling book entitled, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. And it's a profound book and well worth reading. There's a lot of good in it. I've got a quarrel with the title, When Bad Things Happen to Good People, because the Bible says there are no good people. St. Paul said, there's no one righteous, not even one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Yes, all of us are sinners who deserve God's judgment. But many of us have been saved by Jesus, thank the Lord. Our sin was nailed to his cross. He has forgiven our sin and separated it from us as far as the east is from the west. Now that we are God's adopted children, why does he allow bad things to happen to us? When you look back over your life, can't you see numerous times when God's guardian angel stepped in and protected you from some disaster or other? I sure can. Numerous times. And, and we're grateful, aren't we? Yes. The problem comes when we think about the times when the guardian angel did not show up and the disaster happened. Maybe you went through a painful divorce or lost your job. Maybe you've had to put up with crippling arthritis or migraine headaches or cancer. And then in those situations the nagging question continues. If God loves me so much, why didn't he send the guardian angel there to protect me from that disaster? Well, the Bible gives us a few partial answers. Some bad breaks and good breaks fall indiscriminately, almost like the rain, like cards dealt in a game of cards. Uh, Jesus taught us that God causes his rain to fall on the just and the unjust. Uh, he, he sends his rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. The Bible says that God does not show favoritism. Because you know, if God played favorites, people would become Christian, not out of faith, but for selfishness as a health insurance policy or to make sure that God would send good goodies in their direction. When you became a Christian, God did not install an invisible shield around you so that you would not be hurt and could not suffer heartbreak. It's not in the cards. God does not love patriotic Americans more than he loves Chinese communists. Cancer does not discriminate between believers and pagans. Bad things can happen and do happen to believers. Okay. 
If bad things can happen to believers, is there any advantage in being a believer when you face a disaster? Yes, there is. Because if and when you find yourself in the middle of a mess, we Christians find that there's a powerful friend in the middle of the mess with us. And his name is Jesus. And the living Christ gives us the same assurance that was given to St. Paul. My grace will be sufficient for you. We never have to face a disaster alone. Now that assurance certainly helps. But it does not answer the question. Why do bad things happen to believers? And I know because I have asked the question with tears and with agony. When our eight-year-old blonde-headed son Aaron was diagnosed with a brain tumor, I and hundreds of others prayed fervently night and day. Oh God, stop the tumor. Cure it. Banish it. But it didn't happen. And six months later, that cancer took his life. And I, of course, ask why. Why? We're believers. I'm preaching the gospel. Why? God did not give me a verbal answer. But in the weeks that followed, he gave me an answer in the depths of my heart and mind. And this is what the Lord said. If I were to give you an explanation, I don't think it would be understandable by you, and nor do I think it would be comforting. But if you will stay close to me, I will provide key resources for you and your family over these coming weeks and months and years. And even though you find it impossible to believe right now, I will make your life good again. And I will keep your son vitally happy and close to me until that day when he welcomes you to heaven. And then I'm going to have all eternity to make up to you and him for the 40 or 50 years that you're separated here on earth. And furthermore, if you're willing to exchange the question why for what now, I will cause your loss to produce positive good for many, many other people. But you see, God gave me no answer, no explanation. Instead, he took my family in his mighty arms and held us close. And that was better than an answer. As our founder John Wesley said, he who made the heart can heal the heart. Now there are some Christians who are arrogant enough to believe that they ought to be able to understand everything about God and his ways. And if they can't understand it, they, they won't believe it. But how can we understand when our brains are so small and our understanding is so limited? We are like beginners in the game of chess. We've learned a few initial moves in a three-dimensional model. But we can't conceive of how God can operate in a million games 
in a million dimensions. As God told Isaiah the prophet, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. As Chuck Swindoll often says, nothing under God's control is ever out of control. Now one day when we get to heaven, perhaps God may give us a quick historical survey of world history. All of its gore and glory, triumphs and tragedies. And then we will be able to see that all through the centuries, God was working to bend history toward his gracious will. And even when we saw nothing but tears and heartbreak, God was working behind the scenes to heal the hurt and to transform our story into his story. My friends, we're growing toward mature faith when we can say sincerely from the heart, there is much I don't understand about God and this world and his ways with this world. But I know God's character. I know he loves me. That love has been expressed in a million ways, especially on the cross. As Adrian Rogers used to say, when we cannot trace God's hand, we can trust his heart. And that causes me to ponder again those inspired words on the plaque at Pretty Place. Words uh, that are almost Bible. And as you see them presented on the screen, I invite you to say them aloud with me. We can only see a little of the ocean just a few miles distant from the rocky shore. But out there, far beyond our eyes horizon, there's more, immeasurably more. We can only see a little of God's loving, a few rich treasures from his mighty store. But out there, far beyond our eyes horizon, there's more, immeasurably more. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. O oh, great God Almighty, who simply spoke and our universe appeared, we are so small and you are so great. Though we are unworthy sinners, your amazing grace includes even us. No human writer could invent a story this awesome that you would send your son to a cross to save flawed creatures like us. But you did, and we bow in humble gratitude and claim Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. Amen.